yeah, I'm I'm ready for it. I mean, I do. You do have to go. You have to. You have to tell it again, though. This yeah, this yeah. garbage. Oh, this no, garbage I'm, story. I'm sure we're gonna cover it all. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I can. Have, I'm so excited about everything that's happening. So yeah, let's talk. Okay. All right. Well, welcome back to Resident Skeptics, you guys. Um, now you might be having some questions, wondering where is Connor. I am sorry to say that he is no longer with us. He's not dead. He's just on a trip. Don't worry. He's coming back. Um, but for now, you just have me. And instead of having a Connor Anderson, you have a Michael Anderson. No relation. Like what I did there. I that do. Was okay. That, that was very impressive. Great. Thank you. Thank you. See, Connor doesn't... This is the great thing about not having Connor here is that I can do whatever intro and outro I want. He gets on me for my outros and my intros. He gets on me for it. And see, he can't stop me. I can do whatever I want. All right? So when Connor looks back at this footage, he'll probably roll his eyes and, and, and smirk a little bit. But in all seriousness, Connor will be back. It's just me today. Um, and today we do have a special guest. And like I always say, each guest is special because they bring something different to the table. Uh, today we have Michael Anderson, who is running for NC House District 99. We're really happy uh, to have him here today. He's going to give us some different perspective just about his campaign, just about who he is, though. I think that's what a lot of people want to know about their candidates, about who they actually are. Um, so, Michael, thank you so much for being here. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and thanks for coming with no Connor, but we're going to make do, <laughs> right? We're going to be okay. Um, but I just want to start off just kind of asking you um, a little bit just about yourself, who you are, you know, where you come from, what you do. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I like to start out with... You know, when people ask me who I am, um, I'm a born-again Christian. Um, I was born again a little over four years ago. Wow, so that was pretty recent then. Yeah, very recently. And God changed my life so thoroughly. And he, t he took me from a path of destruction uh, to a path that's just been vibrant and full of, of, of hope and direction. And so... You know, coming from where I came, I'm just not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Mm. I'm not. And I know God. I know what he, the power that he has over my life and the power that he has in this world. And so that's, that's where I come from. And I don't apologize for that. Um, after that, you have to talk about family because, you know, family is, family is the next responsibility. Yeah. And so I have a wife, Rebecca, and she's, uh, and we've been married for 12 years. Wonderful. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we have, we have six kids. Six kids. Yes, we do. Six. Yes, we Wait. Do. So tell me how, tell me how old they are. Okay. So they're one just turned 11. Okay. We have eight, we have six, we have four, we have one and a half and we have one coming in March. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's who. Oh, so they're, they're have, awesome. Oh they're, no, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Cause you don't, I think nowadays you don't, you don't see a lot of like five or six kids that mm. typically it's just not how it goes unless, sure. um, and the stereotype tends to be true unless they're homeschooled, <laughs> unless the kids are <laughs> right, homeschooled. Right. Um, and that typically is what happens, but yeah. no love kids. It's a very, right. um, we'll, we'll get into that. I don't know. Oh, yeah, and, we'll no, guess what? Guess bit. what? We, we fit that stereotype. We homeschool. And, uh, and the funny thing is the bigger that your family gets, you tend to find other big families. And so it's, we have, we have many friends, you know, family friends that have six kids up mm -hmm. to 10 kids and it's just awesome. Well, you kind of like 
build like a whole like community yeah. together. That's pretty much what happened. So um, Connor and I, we were both um, homeschooled okay. ourselves. Okay, yeah. the whole way? Um, whole way. Okay, um, because so my wife and I have an argument about that. Okay, so let's, let's hear it here. I so the, hear the it. argument is who's the true homeschooler, right? Like are, are you the true homeschooler if you started out homeschooling but you bailed when you're like a junior in high school and you went to you went to public school. At I don't feel time. like that counts as being a true homeschooler. Or are you a true homeschooler if you like found your way to the you know the right side when you're in fifth grade, but you stuck it through to the bitter end? Ooh, okay. So you're giving I mean, yeah, you're nah. giving two different <laughs> scenarios. I say that the um, I say that those who are redeemed um, get to call themselves a true homeschooler. Hey, so the ones that come hey, back, you right, know, right, right, right. Um, but for, for Connor and I, what we both did is we, we I don't know if you call this, you might actually have to get your opinion on this. We were dual enrolled. So mm. when I was 15, I did go to a, a local community college. And when he was, I think he was in New York, um, he did the same. So okay. we kind of stayed homeschooled, but we kept no, going that, in. That with, totally counts. Okay. It totally counts. It counts. Yeah, because I mean, if you can knock out a couple, you know, some college credit, why not? Well, it's what I, it's what I think with education is like, um, when I was like, let's see, pretty much all the way through on like my sophomore year, like I was writing, um, I was writing like two to three papers a yeah. week. I like re had to rewrite the constitution, other things right, like right. that. <laughs> and so then I got into rewrite the constitution. Like, yeah, like, like in like, modern terms. So not oh. like, Oh, what do you want the constitution? Not like the liberal be? way? Like, uh, no, a not a woke, <laughs> not a woke, uh, constitution here. It's like that's a, that's a type of homeschooling. I don't know about <laughs> No, 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 no. So this is, this is the good one, but we were kind of, they kind of made us have to rewrite it in modern terms, okay. get you to think through the Constitution yeah. and what it is. It was helpful. Yeah. Um, it was fine. Um, but when I got into community college, uh, it really was not terribly difficult for sure, me. Sure. Um, and so all that to say, I, I was like, wait, I'm repeating high school again. Like that's kind of mm -hmm. what the first two years of like right. the associates kind of feel like is that you're, is that you're repeating high school. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you know, so much of college is, you know, I mean, depending on what, what you go in for, but a lot of it's, I don't know. I mean, it feels like sort of empty credits. Um, a lot of people go in, they get four years of education and they don't come out with the skill set. Um, and so the way that I look at that is, yeah, if, if you need the paper um, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of careers, you do need the paper. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you can, if you can knock out with, you know, North Carolina here, you can start, you can start college credits as early as sophomore year. Yeah. And if you can mm -hmm. knock out two to three years of college and then just have one year and, you know, finish up when you're 19 and you've got, you know, take a little a couple boot camps when you're in high school or get some certifications and, you know, 19 years old, you can have your entry level job. You can have your skill sets. You can provide for a family and you can get married, you know, and yeah. that's I, I am all for that. Nope. Same here. Um, but I. I did a little bit of digging on you, though, and I looked a little bit into your education, yeah. um, and I saw you went to law school. I did. I did go to law school. Okay. So what did, so I guess kind of how did that happen? What made you want to go to law school? Well, you know, when I was in fifth grade, I declared that I wanted to be an accountant because everything I did in life, I, I made spreadsheets and I tallied everything, sports and games. And, and my mom said, well, that's, that's uh, accountants do that. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to be an accountant. <laughs> and then uh, as I started reading, 
you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, I found out like everybody who was doing the things that I wanted to, to do, like be president of the United States, were lawyers. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so they're not going to be a lawyer then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I have to be an accountant and a lawyer. Um, and so I made that decision in eighth grade and I stuck to it. Had wow. To, yeah. So you did it like eighth grade and you're like, yeah, I'm going to stick to it. I had to be a man of my word. Wow. And, uh, okay. Yeah. And so, okay. Yeah. So I was, I, I was born and raised in Seattle. Okay. And, I went to the University of Washington for undergrad and for a grad degree. It was right there. I could walk to school. Nice. And, uh, you know, state schools back then cost you 3600 a year, uh, which is unbelievable. Yeah. And it was for a good education. And so I, I got my accounting degree and got my master's in taxation. So I can effectively pull that out and end this conversation right now. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Bore you to death with some tax stuff. Um, <laughs> Don't do that to me, Michael. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then I, I I left to hit it big. I went to, to New York City, hit, yeah. hit the Big Apple, and... Uh, you know, I spent a couple of years there, and I realized pretty quick that you don't leave Seattle, beautiful Seattle, for New York City. I mean, it's like, come on, like there's garbage piled on the streets. There's nothing green except Central Park, and it's just, uh. it was, it was sort of depressing. And I wasn't in a good spot anyway because you know I wasn't many years before I was saved. Yeah. And uh, and so I stayed there for two years, and then the plan had always been to go to law school. And so I'd been accepted and had deferred a couple of years to go to the University of Pennsylvania down in Philadelphia. And so that's where I went. And then you got your degree and that's how it happened. Well, I spent two years there and then I, I went off to the Middle East for a year and a half. Wait, and so then, hang on, what were you doing in the Middle East? Am I so, are you able to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, when I was in high school, um, so I grew up in a, well, I grew up in a great family. Uh, my father died when I was eight. So after, at the, after that point, single parent family, um, not a lot of income. And, uh, and so one of the things that I was doing when I was young, aside from, you know, working a lot of jobs was uh, looking for scholarships. I mean, I was, I was the scholarship hunter. Like I could have had a TV show. I mean, it was, just, wow. I was like, I was on point. And so I had kept this huge binder of scholarships and I had applied for every single one of them and I'd won a ton of them and they were paying me back money to go to, you know, that whole thing. When I was in law school, I was looking through my old binder and there was one last scholarship that I had never gotten around to applying for. And that was a Fulbright scholarship. And, uh, and I thought, Hmm, you know, it's, maybe I should just apply for it and see how it goes. And so that's, it's the Fulbright scholarship is under the auspices of the United, uh, the department of state. And so what happens is the department of state, uh, you, you apply and the, the department of state picks out a handful of applicants that they think will serve the interests of the United States. And then they turn that over to whichever country you want to go and study in. And mine was, uh, was Qatar, which is a, uh, you know, a little, little, uh, uh, country right next to Saudi Arabia. And they look at the handful that the United States de uh, deems useful to our interests, and they pick the one that they think is best for their interests. Okay. And so then that becomes the Fulbright Fellow for, you know, the year. And that's what you ended up getting. And yeah. And so I, I, went to, I went to the Middle East. I went to Doha, Qatar for, you know, it ended up about a year and a half. Um, I did research on Islamic finance. I, I taught at the university both the men's campus and the women's campus, wow. which was unbelievable. And I worked at a law firm out there. 
Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, it was, it was part of the Harley Club out there. Wow. Yeah. No, it was it was, it was amazing. That I just I never would have I never would have <laughs> thought that. I was just like, wow, okay. You must have that you must have learned a lot of interesting things though. Like there's got to be like some cultural differences, I imagine. I don't think people, politicians ought to be doing any business with uh, Middle Eastern relations without like spending some time there Hmm. because there's just a whole different way of thinking. Like it's a whole different way of thinking. Um, Right, right down to the way business is done. A lot of expatriates go over there and they get really frustrated because, you know, here in the United States, you want to do something, you get in line and you wait in line. And when it's your time to do it, like, okay, it's your time. It doesn't work like that in the Middle East. Like that's totally foreign. Like what you do is you go and you find the person who has wasta. And wasta is an Arabic word for social capital. Okay. You find the person with wasta and you don't even bother with lines. And once you can find the person with social capital with WASTA, then they just take you wherever you need to do and they, they, they handle it. And huh. so, yeah. And so that's, uh, and so, you know, a lot of people get frustrated with the system because you'll be sitting in line and then like 20 people will just cut in front of you, but you don't, and you don't understand what's happening. And so, but you know, after a year and a half, I was like, I love this system because I was good at finding the person with WASTA. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. Like, and your, and your life was so simple. Yeah. You just get it done. Huh. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Can you give like a practical example of like trying right. to find someone with WASTA, like what that looks like? Well, so, you know, it was a little different for me because when I went over there, um, I'd been studying Arabic. Um, I, my head was shaved. I wore a, a long beard and I wore the traditional Qatari garb. So it's a white thobe and a white kufiya. And, uh, and for all intents and purposes, I looked Arab and that was insanely interesting to people over there. So they knew that you weren't Arab, no, they had no you, idea, but you, but you looked Arab. They had no idea it was not Arab. Oh, they didn't know. No. So oh, no, you no. completely, would you ever tell them that you, well, yeah. I mean, as soon as I opened my mouth, like, oh, they figured then, it out. then, okay. then questions, they just, you know, it's just okay. avalanche because like, what's going on here? Like yeah. what, what is, what, what is are happening? you? Yeah. Yeah. Because here's this guy who looks 100% Arab, 100% Qatari. And, and yet, like, you know, he's, he's, he's got this weird accent, like yeah. a really weird accent with sort of broken Arabic. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, I mean, I'll tell you, like, it, it, was, it was wild because if I'm walking on the side of the street, um, I, I, you know, typically I would ride mos- motorcycles out there. But if, if I was walking on the side of the street, um, the traffic's crazy over there. It's got a six times the mortality rate as the United States. I can imagine that. That makes sense. But what would happen is if I was on the side of the street with my big beard and my thobe and my kufia, then these land cruisers would screech to a halt. I mean, just eh, stop, and a hand would come out and say, you know, cross. And I would cross. Because I I looked like I was, uh, you know, what's called mutawa. Mutawa is sort of the... um, it's not like the religious police, but sort of like the, the people who are most serious about their Islam, their religion, huh. because of my beard. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was a, quite an experience. No, I, I can't imagine that. That's crazy. Man, I could honestly ask you, like, I feel like so many <laughs> questions about that. I was going to ask you, you know, <laughs> what about Islam? You know, did yeah, you yeah. learn anything about that? Because Islam is, to me, 
I feel like out of all the religions that I've looked at, I've mm. looked at probably Islam the most. Okay, yeah. Um, because it's the most, I think it's it's the most opposing to Christianity as I can find. Mm. Um, but I think there have been some people in America that have made the claim that um, I think like wokeism is is at the most at odds with Christianity. I haven't made up my mind. I'm not sure. Um, but in regards, I guess, to your experience, so that's that's really interesting. <laughs> um, never never would have thought that. But you're not Arab though at all. No, I'm, I'm mixed. I'm black and white. Nice. Yeah, you yeah. Know. So that's and uh, yeah, and so you know so, something about that combo. Um, sometimes you you fit in all over the world. Um, when I was in Egypt, I liked Egyptian. Um, you know, I was, uh, like I said, I was, I was part of the Harley club when I was over there in Doha, Qatar. And one of the things that we did was we were going to ride through, through Qatar, through the empty quarter of Saudi Arabia over into the United Arab Emirates through, through the Emirates to Oman with where there was a Harley rally. Now I'm going to interrupt you. What exactly is the Harley club? What oh, like that? like Harley Davidson motorcycles. Okay, okay. Yeah. I thought maybe I was. I was like, oh, yeah, you're yeah. talking about the Middle East, yeah, oh, and you're no, saying oh, the Harley. But they're they have, everywhere. They're oh my everywhere. gosh, are you okay? I feel silly now. Okay. Yeah. They have oh no. Harley. Oh, and they're 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 fantastic abroad. Like for instance. Wow. Okay. I'm I'm learning new things today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we had a Harley club, and for the most part, it was run by Westerners. But then there was a coup, and a country guy took over, and the club got way better. Right. And. Uh, <laughs> Cause like he had, he had like intro to it everywhere. And so yeah. we would go to like, um, you know, Royal family farms. So there's these farms in the middle of the desert that I don't know. It's of course just, they are. Of course they are. Farms yeah. No, it's, it's cool. It's like, there's, there's, you know, lots of animals and there's like, it's almost like a, like a oasis sometimes in the deserts for really wealthy families. And uh, so we'd go out there and we'd hang out at the Royal, you know, uh, the Royal family is very large. So sometimes there's people who are on the periphery of that and, and uh, the the guy who took over was like twenty six years old, and he had twenty six bikes. Twenty the, well, twenty six, twenty six bikes. Yeah, you know? yeah. He had twenty six bikes, and he, I mean, they were the most souped up motorcycles you've ever seen. And so, yeah, it was it's it's it's, it's a whole culture. Wow. Yeah. Okay, we could do a whole thing on that. Okay, but so you so you went there for a year and a half. Yeah. yeah <laughs> okay, yeah. and so you, so you come back mm-hmm. and and I guess you finish up. Finished law school, <laughs> moved down to Washington D.C. to start the career. Uh, worked there for about seven years, and then um, and then God moved us down to Charlotte, which was about five years ago. Awesome. Yeah. So, so you worked as an attorney. Mm-hmm. Now you're not working as an attorney. Now I'm working as an attorney. Okay, you're still working as I'm an attorney. I'm still an attorney. Yeah. Okay, you're still yeah. an attorney, um, and so but you're but you're running for NC House. Right. Right. Okay. So. Kind of what, how did that happen? <laughs> how did you go from, okay, I'm going to be an attorney to, okay, now I'm going to run mm-hmm. um, for public office. Right, right. So, you know, back in the day, back in DC, um, politics was somewhat of a god to me. I thought that conservative politics were, you know, the salvation of, of the United States. And they are not. Jesus Christ is, is the only salvation that we have. Um, and, and so that was a God to me. But when I got saved, uh, God called me to turn my back on all of that, all of my gods. And I had a few. And so one of them was, was politics. And, and I, just, I just sort of walked away from that. Um, another thing, another uh, a God of mine was, well, it was really success. 
Um, and I loved, I'm a creative, I, I love writing. And I wrote novels, I wrote screenplays. I was actually, I would actually fly back to Hollywood as a script doctor for some of the most famous Christian screenwriters. Like, uh, you know, writers that wrote films like God's Not Dead um, would hire me to come in and, you know, to fix up their scripts, find where the holes are, you know, find how to, how to you know, make the characters more relatable. Um, and I thought that was what, what you know, I mean, I, that, I loved doing that. You know, when I was not saved, I was 100% certain I was. And so there's a little bit of a... Um, oh, hey, that's interesting. Yeah, so, I, yeah, there was, I had zero doubt of my salvation. I believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I believed that the, the Bible was God's Word. I believed everything in it. Um, and yet, and yet, you know, I was willing to have a Savior, but I didn't want a Lord. And, and you know, I lived with a ton of sin, a ton of sin in my life. Um, you know, uh, 30 years of addiction to some of that sin. And, uh, and you know, ultimately God had to, had to break everything to to open my eyes and he had actually had to convince me of the depths of my sin such that I wanted to repent of it. Um, and so, you know, when he did that and he, he led me away from all these other idols, you know, for the first time in my life, I was happy. Um, you know, I've always been a, a very type A sort of person and I push myself very hard. You know, the, the God of success is a cruel taskmaster. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll push you and you'll never find any, any, you know, you never get there. It just pushes you harder and harder, but it lures you in with the, you know, the idea, well, you're a hard worker, but you know, it turns you into workaholic. Um, and so for the first time I, I was free of that and I was free to, you know, enjoy going to the beach with my family. Like we before, before, you know, when I was under that kind of bondage, I hated going to the beach, right? Because it gotta was, work. Yeah. I mean, you don't have it time was, to hang around with your kids and your wife. The drive was, was immense. Uh, and so, yeah, and so, you know, four years of just living with God and him teaching me you know, how to do that, how to reconnect uh, with my wife and my kids and to build that relationship until it's strong and to how to get into reading the Bible consistently. You know, I'd grown up in a Christian family, but I was Bible illiterate. And most people who grow up in supposedly strong Christian families are Bible illiterate. And that makes no sense. Yeah, that is one of the things that I've thought about with at least Christianity in America. I can't speak for Christianity sure. outside of America, um, but I've just noticed, like with those who are, you know, Jewish or um, they ha- or they're Muslim, that I feel like they know their religious text better than Christians know their religious text. Um, I think that's something that like Dennis Prager uh, even talked about at one point. Mm. But continue on. That was that was just something that I thought about. Well, I mean, I think I think when I got saved, what what struck me as as very clear is, you know, how can you, how can you say that you're saved and yet, and and the God of the universe comes and dwells inside of you and has no visible effect on your life? How can that happen? How can you say that God lives inside of you, the God of the universe, and you have zero interest in knowing what God has to say, like zero. Yeah. 
I don't a, think it works that way. It, it doesn't. Well, it's, it's how we it's how we hit the church the way that it is now. I mean, you have a lot more cultural Christianity more than anything because right. I've, you know, talking to people, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm spiritual. And it's simply another way of saying you're like a spiritual atheist of like, right. I, I want to say that I have the spirituality while continuing to do right. um, whatever suits me best or whatever works within the own philosophy that I've made for myself. And that's what happens, I think, um, for a lot of, at least at least millennials, um, I'm, I'm more in touch with like the the I'd say younger millennial to like Gen Z that's kind of that's kind of the situation that's going on yeah I think you find it up and down um you know I think that we don't find we don't find ourselves our country in the situation it's in right now if you have a strong Christian presence um you know the Bible says that everyone who follows God will suffer persecution Where's that been in the United States for the for the Christian church? It's been pretty much non-existent. I was going to actually ask you, because there's some people, I think, this is a little bit of an offshoot of what you just said, but tell me what you would consider to be persecution in the church. Because there's some people that say there is, like, with COVID, for example. Okay, so yeah. when the churches, when the government said, hey, shut down your church, like, oh, we're being persecuted, or mm-hmm. this. Like, what is your thoughts on using that type of language um, for that situation? Yeah, I mean, I think it looks more like that, more like that than than what we've seen for the last, you know, couple hundred years. <laughs> In America um, here, yeah. Right, like it's always <laughs> been a benefit for the most part to be a believer in the United States. Um, you know, we started to see in the last couple years, especially with COVID, um, I think a taste of, of what that could look like, mm. um, where we start to see some encroachments. We start to see um, the, the power of the government to declare certain belief systems immoral and thus canceled. Um, I think now we're starting to see what that might look like. I don't think that we faced much yet, not even, you know, with you know, the lockdowns. Yeah, I, I think I can agree with that assessment where I think you're, you would be correct in saying it is a taste of what could happen um, if we if we don't, like, take proper action, I guess. And you'd have to define, I guess, for you what that proper action um, yeah, is. Right. Um, a lot of the things that we talk about on the podcast, because we have a lot of we have a lot of different people on we're starting to, mm-hmm. and it's exciting, it's fun. Sure. Um, and even hearing your story, I had no idea <laughs> you were going to talk. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, right. Um but like every issue that you know has been brought to this table has always come back down to not just like the nuclear family, but some sort of like foundational belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and America is losing both of these where we don't really have a great nuclear family anymore. Um, I mean, we think that it's just kind of something that's happening here and there, but, you know, you have um, same-sex couples trying to, you know, create uh, their perfect child um, using, you know, an egg from one woman, uh, the womb from another, you know, just really weird, crazy stuff if you if you think about it, you know, or take something more simple like just a higher rate of divorce, uh, single mothers, um, things of that sort. And then you have, you know, postmodernism that comes in, um, relativism that even makes its way uh, into the church where, right. you know, you, you know, we both, because we're both um, Christians, 
we both believe that there's only there is only one way. Right. Um, it would honestly be logically inconsistent to say that there's two ways or right. three ways. It just wouldn't work. It doesn't work now. No, it doesn't. Um, and so that's why I feel like the relativistic viewpoint kind of falls apart. But there's almost we kind of I use the word logical. Mm-hmm. We have a generation that's very emotional. So that logical appeal isn't really there anymore. Right. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, those are those are kind of the two things that I notice. And I think without building those two things, I think the this is just my opinion. You have to get I'll get your thoughts on it here in a second um, about the, how the left is working very actively um, to tear that apart. I'd almost actually give a caveat to what I just said and say that to a certain extent, they are trying to create a religion. They do want you to worship the government to a certain extent um, to provide um, what you, what, what they think you need. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I look at everything as, as a spiritual issue. Um, and there, there's nothing that happens in the world that doesn't have some sort of spiritual influence. Yeah. And so I think you know, when you when you deal with the uh, the, p- the political issues, mm-hmm. right? Like there, you know, I believe that there's there's very well-meaning people mm-hmm. um, on both sides. There's very well-meaning um, liberals. For instance, you know, when I when I go canvassing door to door, I've hit almost ten thousand doors so far. And uh, I said to myself, you know, I want to go. So my, my opponent's name is Nasif Majid, and he's uh, he's an incumbent a couple times over. He used to be on the city council for about a decade. He's very involved. Um, I said, well, I, w- I want to go to his neighborhood. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And uh, I want to go. Very bold. <laughs> yeah, I talk to his neighbors. Like I was meaning to skip his um, his house because I didn't want to, like, tip him off that I was, like, right there. But I was going to go to all his neighbors, right? And then, you know, I, I transposed the numbers on his address. I, I tend to do that. And I, I ended up putting a, a door hanger on his on his house. And then, but I didn't think anything more of it. I, I go down the street and I come back about you know, an hour later and I'm seeing a young man um, blowing leaves on the street. And he's, he's standing right next to a Nasif Majid sign. Mm-hmm. And so my, 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 the, my, like anytime I see a person, I'm going to talk to the person. I don't care. And so I, I go up to him. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, uh, is this your sign? <laughs> is this your sign? And he's like, yeah. And uh, we have this whole conversation. I'm like, I'm the other guy. And here's why I think you should vote for me. And then, but like, I didn't realize until later that that was his son. <laughs> That's. <laughs> oh, but, no. But, but my point is this. We had a wonderful conversation. I was super impressed, super impressed with this young man. That's awesome. Um, I love that. Very, very kind. Um, you could tell that this was a man who, who was raised in a family where they talked politics around the table. And I didn't agree with his points and we pushed each other pretty hard. But my point of raising that is I absolutely believe he and Nassif Majid and many, many people are, are they believe what they believe, which is at completely at odds with what I believe um, for like, they, they mean well. Yeah. But I believe that there's a spiritual element that blinds people to things like abortion Right. Yeah. 
um, that tells you that it's okay to kill all of these children for whatever reason you want. Like you can have you know many reasons. It's a spirit that brings people there. Um, there's a spirit that says, you know, I know you guys had Tyler Lee on here um, that says it's okay to have, um, you know, these, these, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how to, to talk about drag it, but drag queen. queen story hours or st- strip shows or, you know, and bring kids in there. It's a spirit that, that causes this blindness that people don't see it or they're just not. Um, you know, I mean, sometimes people are doing the wrong thing and they just don't care and they're just trying to change culture. But a lot of times people mean well. And so that's the way that I, I go about it. I don't ever assume that you're trying to do the wrong thing. Um, but I know that the battle that I'm facing is a spiritual one. Yeah. No, I think you bring up a really a really good point because it was funny. I was talking to a young lady um, that we, we, know, we know each other on Facebook and we're both on completely different sides of the aisle, completely mm-hmm. on different sides, but we were managed to have just a lovely conversation. Sure. Um, and, and, one, and, and obviously I, I didn't, she didn't always agree with me. I, I wasn't going to agree with her. We knew that. But the one thing I can definitely tell from especially people on the ground is that I think a lot of them genuinely think that this is the right thing to do. Sure. And so I think, to me, it's unbelievable, the idea of transgenderism, right? Like, this to me, like, I know too much to be like, this is evil and this is bad. Mm -hmm. And I know that the people on the top... I know they have bad intentions because they're going after the money. Um, when you're going after sure. the money, it's it's hard to have good intentions after that. Mm-hmm. But for the people on the ground, they're they're like, well, you know, if 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 my kid's going to commit suicide, if they can't, you know, transition, then maybe th- I should do this. And they're telling me, and so, and of course, you know, th- that's horrible mistakes, but they do it anyway. Um, but even in that case, I can see how potentially those are good intentions that just lead to really, really bad consequences um, at the end of the day. So I try, at least Connor and I, and I can't fully speak for Connor, but I think one of the reasons why we have this podcast is hopefully eventually get people on that are on the other side of the aisle and be like, hey, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to have a good conversation here. Like, you know, no one's going to call each other names. You know, you call each other names, we're done. Like, that's it. Right. Um, Because you can't have a good conversation. That's hardly an argument. It's hardly a debate. Yeah. Um, So I'm I'm definitely, I'm definitely with you there. And it really encourages me to hear those types of conversations happening. Because I think what happens with like Facebook and social media is that you villainize the other person. Mm -hmm. If they got a D next to their name or an R next to their name, like we can't actually actually have um, a face-to-face conversation. Well, you know, it is it is an issue. Um, there's so much polarization. And, uh, and, you know, my district is 60-plus percent African-American. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a high percentage of Latino. So you're looking at 80-plus percent uh, uh, minority. Um. And, you know, that makes it the third most liberal district in the whole state. By and large, I believe, you know, I don't want to, you know, speak out of turn, but I think for the most part, conservatives have ceded that ground because it's considered unwinnable. Mm. But for me, that's where I want to be. That's where God put me. Right, God called me in, into this race. I wasn't looking for this. 
I wasn't even eligible to run at the filing deadline. I wasn't a Republican long enough. So can let's actually let's actually get into that. So you know we were kind of we kind of went off on a trail, right? right. Uh, but no, I love I love that though. But I do I do want to I do want to kind of this is a good way to come back to that question of how like so you said you turned your back on politics that right. was your god and now here you are right. <laughs> running for right. NC House. So so what happened? I mean, like, isn't well, that how God works? Right? Yeah. Like you could be pushing and trying to make it happen for yourself and scheming and like trying to set it up and like it's just not working. But then like when you follow what God had meant for you, then like He doesn't need a runway; He can just place you there. And so you know, my story started in November of last year. And that was a couple months after President Biden came out with his, you know, his vaccine mandate or attempted to. And then shortly after that, as you remember, all the corporations started doing the same. And by the way, that's the definition of fascism, right? Yeah, that's yeah. when the government forces people to act in a certain way and, the, and all the corporations collude to make it happen. Um, and then together they, you know, they, they do away with free speech and freedom of action. That's, that's fascism. That's the definition. Um, and so anyway, so my company, my, the CEO of my, my company, stood before all the employees in an employee, all-employee meeting and declared for the greater good of humanity, it was no longer sufficient to segregate the unvaccinated workers. We had to be removed from the workforce altogether. It was a moral statement that we were no longer worthy of a job. And so that's how hundreds of people found out that they were going to get fired. And um, that was a Thursday, and there was no further communication that day. You know, and, you know, and, you know we're, we're, we're a tech company, and so while he's making that statement, like there's a chat room going that you know, everybody can see, and people, you know, colleagues are celebrating the fact that I'm going to lose a job. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I've been a, an attorney for a long time, and I've been in some pretty difficult situations with difficult people. But I, I mean, that was the worst professionally. Mm. Um, and so, no further communication that Thursday. And then uh, I'm, I'm praying to God. Well, what should I do? You know, this goes back to what we were talking about about um, believers. All who will follow Christ will suffer persecution, because I think everybody has a choice. Uh, and for the most part, believers in this in this country have chosen not to, you know, not to stand up and take the take the punishment, and that's why you don't have a lot of persecution, right? Who's standing up and saying, you know, no, we're not going to have um, our kids transitioned, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's yeah. quiet. Nobody yeah. wants to take the beat the beating because there will be a beating. You know, who wants to say? no abortions, no exceptions, because it's a child. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to take the beating. Yeah. Because that's called persecution. Now, it's freely available to all of us, but most of us avoid it. Mm-hmm. And so I was praying to God. I said, what should I do? Because I know when good people say and do nothing, bad things happen. We know that. That's throughout history. So I'm praying, and Friday comes and goes, and no further communication. Saturday comes and goes, no further communication. Sunday comes and goes, no further communication. But I'm fasting, and I'm praying. Because 
you know, I, I like to think of myself as a person of great courage, right? Mm-hmm. But I was scared to death to out <laughs> myself. Remember when yeah. that was like that? Like, yeah, no, I do too. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not vaccinated. Right. Um, and so it was, you know, the people who were vaccinated really just felt free to trash Absolutely anyone that wasn't. Um, Absolutely. They did. And, and you were, you were immoral. You were, you were selfish. You were not thinking about the greater good. You were possibly causing death to their family. You're all these things. Right. And so, you know, and I'm, and I'm in a company where the, the, the CEO has just declared that I was morally unworthy of a job. And so, you know, and so I'm scared to death. I'm physically feeling sick. You have a family to take care of. Got a family. Know? Yeah. You know, and I'm phys- physically feeling sick because I don't, because I'm, I'm just so worried about outing myself in such an environment. But I knew what I had to do. Like, you know, that Sunday God gave me the answer and I had to, and I had to speak. And so, you know, and and that puts you in other situations because now, like, you know, from that point on, we had dozens and dozens of decisions to make, any one of them which could have cost cost me my job, right? And that's a conversation with my wife and that's, it's considerations. But the question is, you know, know, who do you fear more? Do you fear God or do you fear man? And that is an incredibly important question for this day and age. That's the the whole question. Mm Mm-hmm. And so Monday comes along, and I posted. I posted where in our in our company Slack channels, you know. And I posted, I, you know, I, you know, it wasn't it wasn't an indictment of my company. Um, it was a word of empathy to those those around who I knew were cowering in the shadows, you know, and afraid and worried. And and I just posted. I said, I know what you feel like, you know. Thanksgiving is right around the corner. It's next week, right? I mean, how That's cruel crazy. is that? Yeah. Christmas is just around the corner. And I know that, you know, the, the holidays are, are ruined for you and your families. And I know that now you're, you, you're scared because you're trying to figure out whether you're going to take this vaccine, which you might be morally opposed to. You're trying to figure out if uh, you need to go and try to find another job in an uncertain economy. You're trying to figure out if, if you're going to try to uh, uh, convince this company, which you know just came out so strongly against you, that uh, that your your religion or your medical conditions are such that you should you should warrant an accommodation or an exemption. And I said, you know, if you're in the same boat with me, uh, here's my email address. Let's let's uh, I, maybe, maybe I can encourage you. And I just posted that right. Wow. <laughs> And uh, people were coming out of the woodwork. It was unbelievable. Really, but it was Crazy. it was the toughest week of my 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 career. So I was hearing stories of you know pregnant women. They don't want to take it. <laughs> no, I mean it wasn't it wasn't tested on pregnant women. Not no. not nearly enough as it needed to be. Um, you know, single mothers. Yeah. Really, single mother's gonna lose her job over that? Like, right? I mean, that's personal to me. Growing up in a single mother family, well below the, the poverty level, mm-hmm. that's personal to me. You know, people with autoimmune deficiencies who literally could not take the vaccine, but because Novant and Atrium were working together, like they were pressuring their doctors not to sign any paperwork. 
which goes which goes against medical interest in the first place. It goes I'm against the you. interest of the patient. I'm telling you, yeah, no, it was it was it was messed up, and uh, yeah, and so that was, you know, and so we 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 got together and uh, you know we put together our own little Slack channel. It's not not work related, just to encourage each other and try to, you know, for those who needed to find new jobs, help them find new jobs. Um, for those who wanted to fight for their jobs, help talk through, you know, because I, I became somewhat of a civil rights act of 1964 expert, mm-hmm. um, helping people, uh, you know, craft their their religious accommodations because, you know, I mean, you can get tripped up a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and I started looking around. And I was like, you know, I, you know, I, I was sort of the focal point. I'm seeing all these people and I'm like, wow, we have enough talent here to run a company. I mean, there's, yeah, there's lawyers, there's privacy people, there's more front end and back end engineers than you, than I knew what to do with. And so what I ended up doing was starting an organization uh, and I called it by many or by few. And the goal was to funnel voters towards freedom minded candidates um, really focusing on this vaccine issue. And the reason why I called it by many or by few, it, it's, after, it's after the story in the Bible, as you're probably familiar with, where Jonathan, the son of Saul, right, um, they're in a period of time when the Philistines are, you know, they're oppressing the Israelites. And, uh, and Saul has, a, has an army of 600 soldiers, and he's sitting over, over there under a tree, and he's just he's on the sidelines, right? He's got an army, and he doesn't think he can defeat the Philistines. And so he's, he's sitting on the sideline, and so the Philistines are free to oppress the Israelites. And Jonathan isn't, isn't about that, right? He's a young man at this point, and he says, he says to his armor bearer, who's probably like 13 at the time, he says, uh, um, he says it may be, well, he says, let's go and fight the Philistines because he says, it may be that the Lord will work for us for there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. So Jonathan and his armor bearer go over there and they, they go and confront the Philistines and they climb up this cliff and they, and Jonathan, uh, and he, he swings his sword for like the first 20 yards or something and he kills, he kills a bunch of Philistines, but there's no way he's going to knock out an army of Phil- the Philistines. And that's when God comes to fight. And God causes massive confusion and earthquakes and things like this and drives all the Philistines the other direction. And uh, what's interesting there was, it was a passage that God gave to me when when I was just in deep prayer trying to fight this thing. And and, uh, what happened after that was very interesting. Um, Saul is watching from, from a distance, and he's seeing all this confusion. He's seeing the, the Philistines fleeing, and he does this quick count to see you know, what, where, if, if everybody's there, and he finds out that Jonathan has gone, and so he knows that Jonathan's over there causing the Philistines to flee. And so finally, they decide uh, to join the, the battle. And so here comes the army. Now that, you know, that they see that something's happening, there's some momentum's right, moving. right. But what's further interesting is uh, the Bible tells us also that there are there are um, Israelites who 
had joined forces with the Philistines. Like they had sort of they had sort of assimilated with the Philistines because they figured, you know, if you can't beat them, join them type of thing. Well, that makes sense for the Israelites because they tended to take on the gods of other people and like the Canaanites sure. and all that stuff. Sure. I mean, it, it's a lot of people will, you know, will, uh, if you can't beat them, join them, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people did that with the vaccines. A lot of people who did not want to take them and who were scared to take them took them because they felt like they were going to lose their jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And it's fair enough. It's fair enough. But, you know, I always felt that the Holy Spirit was telling me it's not right. So I didn't. Um, and so these people who had been sort of coerced into joining the forces of the Philistines, they break away from the Philistines and join the, join the Israelites. Yeah. And so the army's growing. And as this army's marching forward, the Bible says that there's all these other Israelites who are hiding in the caves and in the hills and things like that. And, and that also happened a lot with the vaccine mandates, right? Like there's so many people who were just hiding, just trying not to be found out, you know? I've got to be honest, though. That right. was kind of me. That's true. It was, it was me until it was yeah. definitely it was Because like, you're just like, what like what good am I going to do by going out there? Yeah, that was kind of that right. was kind of the, the thought process. And the where I work, at least I'm a state employee. So yeah. it was the federal was oh, different than yeah. the than the um, the corporate one that okay, they yeah. had going out. Right. So I, I get it. No, I no, it. it's, it's totally not a it's not an indictment, but it's it's interesting. Even if it, even if it was, Michael, I would take it. I'd be like, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. But it's interesting how closely this paralleled our situation. And so anyway, so these Israelites come out of the caves, right? And they're emboldened. And they come and join the fight. And so these three armies all come in and drive the Philistines out, and it's the last time the Philistines bother the Israelites in the Bible. And I found that to be so interesting because God always, I mean, what he's able to accomplish with just one principled person who says, this is the ground that God has given me. This is right and this is wrong. This is God's law um, and is willing to, right? Jonathan doesn't know that God is going to deliver the Philistines. He says it may be that the the Lord will will work for us. It may be that he won't, though. Right. It may be that you're going to get slaughtered. It may be that the Philistines are going to cut your head off and and post it, you know, (laughs) know, (laughs) uh, nail your body to the wall like they do to other people. Um, But he's willing because... He knows what is right in God's eyes. And when you can find someone like that, or if you can if you can draw close enough to God and be someone like that, it could change the whole country. Yeah. And so with that mindset, is that kind of what got you into that point of like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna run. So you know, there was a lot of, a lot of choices that, that had to be made. Um, I, I spoke to everybody that I could. I spoke to the general counsel of the company. I chose to, spoke to group presidents, spoke to director of diversity, director of people operations. And finally, uh, I got an audience with the CEO. And, and it's also the founder of the company. 
And everybody's asking me, well, what are you going to say to him? Because right? everybody, <laughs> yeah. like, everybody had an interest in this. Um, and uh, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> right, like, like, I don't what, know. What, what, what do you do? Yeah. You, you go into a meeting like this and say Fox News says, like, <laughs> the Epic <laughs> Times ran an article? No. Like, if, if, someone's like, yeah. if someone's, like, willing to fire hundreds of people over a vaccine mandate, like, obviously there's not a lot you're going to say to that person. Like, and, you know, I mean – incredibly intelligent person, mm-hmm. a person that's incredibly likable. I like him a lot as a, I wish we could be friends, you know? I mean, it's sort of you know, a little awkward now, but sure, like, yeah. Um, but like just a great human being by every standard, you know, except for like, you know, um, you know following God. But, um, and so anyways, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, but I do know this, that the Bible says that when you're drawn before kings and judges for my name's sake, don't, don't even prepare. Like the, the Holy Spirit will give you what to say on that, at that time. That's what the Bible says. And so you just, you just went in there and. So I just, I said, God's going to give me the words. And All so right. I just prayed and I prayed and I waited and waited and people kept on saying, well, what, what are you going to say? I don't know. I'm waiting for God. And then a week before I was supposed to speak to him, God spoke to me. And I was sleeping, and it was like one in the morning. And I woke up. I just like sat up in bed, and it was like this whole script was like downloaded into my head. It was it was amazing, and it was brilliant. <laughs> well, it's from if it's from God, then you know, fairly brilliant all around. Yeah, but I want people to know that though, because like, it's easy to think of God as being, He's God. Yeah. But God is brilliant. Like, think about that. Yeah. I mean, I think the word that I always think of is like, he's very intelligent, I think. Yeah. Um, well, he is certainly that, but yeah. he's also brilliant. Yeah. Like, yeah. like when no, you... No, that is an interesting adjective, and it's a good adjective to use for him. Like, when I, when I think about someone who's super intelligent, like, I'm not usually wowed by them. As much as when I see someone who's just like you, like a generational talent, like oh my, whoa, yeah, that's what God is. Beyond that, and so, and so, He's interacted with me so many times since, like I started to sort of do what I was supposed to do, which was fear God and not to fear man, and um, and so He spoke to me and he, and He downloaded this whole script into my my mind and it was just I was like. Whoa. And, uh, and he told me, he told me to say to, first of all, to thank the CEO for, for the years of sacrifice that he'd, he'd made, right? Here's a guy who'd put everything on the line and built a wonderful company. Was, I've never enjoyed working at a company more than this one. And I'm sure that came at huge expense to his family and his own personal finance. He put it all on the risk, mm-hmm. uh, you know, risked it all. Yeah. And so it started off really good. Yeah. But then God called me to talk about morality, which, which he wanted nothing to do with. And he swore up and down that, you know, that the policy was not about morality. But, like, if you're going to make a, a statement about the greater good of humanity, it's a moral statement. Sure. Yeah. No, it seems pretty straightforward to me. Morality being right versus wrong. And uh, and this was definitely that. And that's the one thing he wasn't ready for. 
right? Like, uh, and so, uh, and so God called me to, to ask, to ask him three things, which was also brilliant because he is a man who had, he had, uh, had gone down on the miracle of the Hudson, which, uh, there's a, a movie that was done on this called Sully, uh, where this, uh, this pilot had, had managed to just a miraculous landing of a plane that had hit a, some, some, you know, a flock of geese, the engines had gone out and he managed to land it on the Hudson river in New York city. And the CEO was in seat one a. And so, and so he, he did this amazing Ted talk about like three things that he learned, you know, as he was about to die or whatever. And, uh, and so God said, I got three things to say to you, which was just, just blew me away. And, and he asked three, three questions about, you know, was this moral? Is this policy moral? Is the policy moral to, to let all these people know that they're going to get fired in such a way, right? Mm-hmm. When all their, you know, when their, their uh, coworkers are, are like, you know, cheering, cheering that on. Like, was, was that moral? Yeah. And I, I'd say I, 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 I think that's not moral. And, um, you know, was it moral to, to fire pregnant women when it ha- hadn't been properly tested on them? You know, when they could lose their health care and their doctor at, at a time when they're, you know. Do you really need that health care at that point? You do. And you really don't need that stress. Yeah. I mean, you've, your wife has had five kids, six, six one on the way. Right. You, that can cause, cause a miscarriage. It's serious. That kind of stress. Uh, was that moral? I would suggest it's not. And then finally, is, is it moral to, to silence the minority voice? I mean, just minority general, generally. Um, the dissenting opinion, rather than to have the conversation and let it play out, especially, you know, when, when uh, you know... Such a you know such a policy has a disparate impact on racial minorities and particularly my people African Americans. In your in their language, this would be called institutional racism. That's the definition of institutional racism. Has a disparate impact on black people or, or racial minorities. Was that moral? I would suggest it was not. And then God called me to, to call him to repentance, to repent of his immoral policy. And if he would, then, you know, God would continue to bless. And if he didn't, then we'd pray that God would stop him. And that was, that was the conversation. And it was, it was intense. A little intense, a little rough. It was intense, but sometimes God calls you to intense places. Sure. I mean, so like, I guess like what happened, like, I imagine he didn't change it. No, he didn't. And hundreds of people got fired. Um, and that was tough on me. But, like, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know. But, you know, God preserved my job. You know, I mean, how did that happen, right? Like, you don't, yeah. you know, and God did, you know. It's just like, it's, and my wife was, I love the Bible. Um, because, you know, to, 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 to approach it the right way. You don't read it and say, oh, I don't understand that. And so then you try to make up a, you know, you try to construct Create your it. own right. narrative, your own understanding l- of it. There's a lot of things in there that you're not going to understand. Sure, yeah. Because your, your mind is finite. Mm-hmm. And so the way that you handle that is not, oh, I don't understand that or I'm uncomfortable with it. So it must mean this, which is something that's slightly off or way different. You just pray to God. You say, God, I don't understand this. Like... 
let me know what it means. Like, yeah. why would God not answer that? And so anyway, there's there had always been this, since I got saved, there had been this passage in the Bible um, that had always bothered me. It's like, there's a couple of verses. And, and uh, it said that, that when Moses talked to, to Pharaoh, God made Moses like a god to Pharaoh. And it, it seemed, it seemed, that is interesting. It that is interesting language. It seemed almost sacrilegious to me. Um, but like, that's what God did for me, right? There, there was nothing that that's prevented the most powerful man in, in, in the known world, Pharaoh, from executing Moses, other than God making something about him untouchable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's the only explanation, right? The Pharaoh didn't. Fair can get rid of people. So you you ended up keeping your job. Still there. Wow. There's no explanation for why I should, I should still be there. And so God made me untouchable for this season. Um, and I don't know how long that's going to last. It could go any day. You know, I've got enough stuff on the internet where like people, you know, even this story, right? I'm I'm sure people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure people wouldn't like to to know that I'm speaking about it now. Like people can find out where I'm I'm working, right? But uh, it's but like, you know, I know that God's got everything under control, and He called me to this battle, and um, you know, and so, you know, with with the by many or by few thing, um, <laughs> so many crazy things happened, but one of the crazy things that happened was. God called me down to South Carolina, my company's based in South Carolina, um, to testify before the State House of Representatives. Um, and so I testified of this story. And ultimately what happened was a law got passed in South Carolina which gave some protections, not full protections, but some protections to workers going forward so that they couldn't be fired as easily. And uh, when I was down there, though, it, it really struck me. I was actually pretty shocked um, at how unsophisticated things are, like local politics. Hmm. It's pretty darn unsophisticated. Really? Right? Like, people are, like, representing whole counties, and they won, like, 500 votes. And the other guy won, won like, 300 votes. Like it's, it's that's, r- that's really not much. It's really unsophisticated. Yeah. And I'm like, Really? <laughs> You're like, could I do this? <laughs> right, right, and, yeah. yeah. And so, and so, like, <laughs> and uh, you know, at the time, I'm unaffiliated though, and uh, I sort of, I want to stay unaffiliated because, like, you know, it's like, listen, I am very conservative, no, no doubt about it. I've always been very conservative. Okay. But there came a time when you sent enough people to DC and you send enough people to Raleigh and they like go and they waffle and they do like, they don't do what they're sent to do. Right. That is the biggest issue I have <laughs> with Republicans. It has to be the biggest problem I have is that when we give them power, right. They don't do anything because people don't want persecution. That's what it is. I mean, it has to be. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else, because they're like, oh, you know, if, if you just vote for us, we'll do all this change for you, and then it doesn't. I mean, there's already talk of getting a supermajority and moving the, the abortion ban down to 15 weeks. Like, well, our, I mean, our current law is 20 weeks. Right. right. And, this is, and, so this is, and this is for, for, North, for North Carolina. So North Carolina. Yes. So there's already talk 
that if we can only get this super majority so that we can over so that we can overturn Governor Cooper's veto power. Right. Do you think that's then, something that's actually going to be possible? It's super possible. It's super possible. Um I mean you only have to get a couple seats, 3 3 house seats, 2 senate seats, 1 judicial seat and you can we can everything that Co- Governor Cooper has vetoed, which has been mm-hmm. more than any governor in history in in the uh, history of North, North Carolina. Carolina. I mean wow. I think I think I think if you I, I don't I don't know for sure, but I think the statistic was if you take all of the governors together in the history of North Carolina, he's vetoed more than that. Are you serious? That's what I believe the statistic is, but someone check me on that. Some, some one of your one of your 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 well, Connor, check, check that. Connor, we miss you because he would typically check yeah. on this for us because he yeah, has yeah. the computer over there. But yeah, no, um, but uh, I, I believe that's the statistic that I've heard. But anyway, he's he's vetoed a lot, but. All it takes is that three, two, one to get to a supermajority, but it's not that simple because already you're hearing conversations about not eliminating abortion, but lowering it from twenty weeks to fifteen weeks. Yeah, I guess if you're because if you're if you're pretty like strong pro life, you know you protect life at conception the moment it happens, and that would be the and that would be the ideal uh, situation. What difference does it make 20 weeks and 15 weeks? What difference does that make? The life is still valuable at both 15 weeks and 20 weeks. Well, do so you, not much do of you, a difference. Do you really think that someone, do you really think that lives are going to be saved? Or will they just. <sighs> I don't think. Or will they just abort five weeks earlier? Yeah. I don't know. I think that, I think that you could save some, but I don't know how. Um, this this is gonna sound very cold, but I don't know how big of a difference um, it would make overall. And, and my question is like, like, why are you trying to restrict abortion? What what is the what is the purpose to restrict abortion? Is it is it to just annoy people and give them a smaller window with which to work? Is this that's your reason? Because if that's your reason, that's, that's, question. that's pretty annoying to me. You're just, you're just trying to get under people's skin. Or is your reason that there is life in there and that killing life is immoral? I mean, what, what's your reason? Because like, if, if your reason is you're just trying to annoy people and win people and move like a couple numbers, then yeah, sure, bring it from 20 to 15 weeks. But like, if, you, if your point is that there's life in there, and that, and that all all life is created in the image of God. That life inherently has importance, and that we have a spirit of death in this country that that infiltrates everything. Right, mm-hmm. right. The fact that we have easy abortion means we have easy, you know, relations, sexual relations. We've got all that, mm-hmm. right? Like, and that right. that that erodes the family. Like, there's so many tentacles to this thing. I think the thing is that they just make it. It's very, it's very political. If I were, if I were a Republican, I guess that really just wants to make it right. I'm not, right. I'm not thinking real, uh, real spiritual here at all. I'm just thinking if this were me, all right. This is just my thoughts. Is that 
you know, if I take it down to 15 weeks, okay, I, I show my Republicans or kind of the more soft Republicans that, hey, I care about this issue, but not too far where I completely alienate other people who might vote for me. That's how right. I would, which I'm not saying that's correct. I'm just saying no, it's no, sad right. that that's probably the thought process that's happening in that right. situation. Right. But you're, but you're correct. Like if you are, if you are pro-life, it's about, it's about the life that's inside of that womb. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about the idea that, and I've, and I actually wrote an article about this for resident skeptics is that in order to protect life as a whole, mm-hmm. meaning from conception to death, you have to protect it at conception because that's to. the only, that's the only good standard. If you use any other standards for what makes life valuable, you find yourself almost killing yourself. Right. Oh, well the, the child doesn't have uh, well, if you say, okay, at, at 15 weeks are not fully developed. Well, there's people are born mm-hmm. without arms, without legs. Right. Are they less valuable? Um, you know, are you less valuable because of your uh, lack of intelligence because right. of mental mental disability? You know, then you'd have to be killing people who are who are you know Earth side <laughs> at this point. But so no, you're you're absolutely you're absolutely correct in that regard. You know, and it comes up right, like like I said, I've hit ten thousand doors right in the mm-hmm. most third third most liberal district in the state, and so like you know, do I shy away from that? No. Like, I mean, do I bring it up as like the first thing? I mean, I'll let pre- people bring it to me, but, um, but when it comes up, I ask, I ask the question here. Okay. Okay. So you're, for, you're for abortion. Okay. Most people, most people don't want abortion until like, you know, right before birth. Right. And that's, and that's the thing is that those are, those are the radical Democrats that but that's, really that's want the that. platform right now. That's Which the is, platform. Which to me is insane. And so. Yeah. And so that's, that's the platform. And most people don't like that. Most people are like, that's, that's pretty wicked. Yeah. Okay. And so I wish that logic would extend (laughs) to the, to the 20 weeks and the 15 weeks, but especially wicked um, for sure. But you know, when I have this conversation, it's always, it's always the three exceptions, right? Mm -hmm. The three exceptions you've got. You know, you've got incest, you've rape. got rape, mm-hmm. you've got, um, and you've got uh, the the health of the mother, the life of the mother, and you know, and it doesn't matter that those three are, you know, a one per- percent, mm-hmm. certainly less than two percent, um, rare. Doesn't matter. Right. You've got to face that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the question is, what do you do in the case of these three terrible situations? Well, the first one's the easiest, which is the the life of the mother, right? You know, as someone who's pro-life, you're always pro-life. You're saving life at all, at any way that you can. So the mother's life is every bit as valuable as the baby's life, mm-hmm. right? And nobody disagrees with that. Um, but the, the, the disinformation is that the abortion somehow is going to save the, 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 the mother's life. And that is disinformation because there, you do not have to proactively kill the child to save the mother. It's, it's, it's ignorance. Um, it's pretty much what it is. <coughs> you can always attempt to save the life. And, you know, most of these situations, you know, I mean, they talk about ectopic pre- pregnancies and things like that, which is just complete disinformation. Right, yes. Um, but, like, in a situation where it, there really is the mother's life on the line, yes, you try as 
you, you save the mother's life, but you also try to save the child's life. It, like going in and, and ripping the head of the baby off isn't going, isn't actually a very safe procedure for the mother either. No, and a lot of women that they, if they, um, from what I know at least, when they get an abortion, they can have a higher chance of miscarriages oh. because you know they're scarring on the tissue, and and so it's pretty, it's pretty nasty uh, the so way it happens. Health, so many health issues. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a clean procedure. I think I was listening because live action they were doing an entire like storylines of all these different oh, abortions. Live actions. I mean, they're they're yeah. killing the game. Let's be real. Um, yeah. but these women were brave enough to share the story of, you know, really no real anesthetics, you know, and a vacuum, you know, and they're like, they're sucking the the baby from the uterine wall. And you're just like, are you serious? Like this, this is not, this is not safe. And the stories were, were terrible and, and they're horrible. And the women, when they come out there, they're so ashamed and they're so just embarrassed. It's like, this isn't the, the media paints it one way, um, but the reality is far different. Right. And, and people don't know that, though. And when you cower away from the truth that life matters, you never get there, right? In fact, you almost seed that ground. You just sort of like seed morally. Okay, yeah, yeah of course you don't want to, you know, like those three things, right? Yeah. But you've got to face it. And so the life of the mother and the life of the baby, that one's not, that's not hard. But now you get to the hard ones, right? Mm-hmm. You get to rape and incest, and these are tough. These are tough situations. But the question is this: Does killing an innocent child is that the answer to this problem? You know, there's three individuals involved here. There's a rapist. There's the woman who's been victimized, and there's a child that's born. Mm-hmm. or conceived who should die first why should it why should it be the innocent child yeah i typically say i'd, I'd rather have the the rapist dead and the child live why should it be the child like what what right do we have to execute the child furthermore why are we assuming like you know i mean why are we assuming, I mean, anybody who knows someone who's been raped, it's, it, is, it is the most brutal crime because it's, there's this mental component that it doesn't go away. Right. Yeah. It continues for years and years and years. It's a violation of not only the body but the soul and the mind, and it continues. And I would offer to you that killing the child doesn't actually help that. It's not balm to the depths of that that pain. And further, I would offer that, that the killing of any person makes it worse. Because now you've got to deal with, because we never talk about the, the mental, I mean, live action does a good job with this, of all these, I mean, if you're looking on Instagram, they've got all these videos where, you know, women are telling the stories about, you know, it's 30, 40, 50 years later, and they're still like, I can't believe I killed my child, and dealing with that. And, you know, abortion is, 
so pro-male, pro-irresponsible male, it's unbelievable, right? Because all these men who are irresponsible, basically, I mean, because we, we, we do work with um, Love Life, which is a, a, a local organization. And, yeah, and, and, they, and they've expanded quite oh, a bit now. Oh, and, you know, we come alongside young women who, you know, are in this situation and who choose life. And we walk, we live life alongside of them. And there's many, many, many people who do this and organizations who do this. Um, and usually, it's not, the, it's not the young lady who wants the, the abortion. Yep. She doesn't want the abortion. She's not comfortable with that. She's, she's in a situation where there's a man who is totally irresponsible, who's totally unreliable, who's saying he's going to walk away if she has it, who's, who's like, you know, he's, you know, and she's, she's looking at this situation. She's like, oh, my goodness, I've got to, now I've got to figure out how to be a single mother. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying, like, how is this going to work? And he's telling her that he's telling her that he's, he's going to leave her if she has it. And then her, you know, her, the family's saying, well, yeah, well, what about, what about your school? You know, what, what about, you know, what about your education? Your, your life's going to be over. And she's thinking, I'm never going to get married with, with this child here. All these things. And, and, and there's so much pressure on her, but she doesn't want, they, the women don't want usually to get the abortion. It, it serves the man's, man's purpose almost entirely. And, and, and we see this, um, and, and that doesn't get stated very much. You know, another thing about abortion is, you know, when I talk to people at the door, I'm like, well, let me ask you this. The abortion data is freely available on the CDC website. Everybody's favorite CDC, but it has, <laughs> it has yep. data. Has some data. Who do you think gets aborted more, males or females? Ooh. That's a good question. It's females. It's females. By a sizable amount. Do you do you have any idea why? Well, I'll leave that I'll leave that up to the the person. Who do you think gets aborted more? Blacks or whites? Black. (laughs) By a lot. Yeah. Who do you think gets aborted more? Able bodied or disabled? That's an easy answer there, unfortunately. It's not even close. Disabled. And who do you think gets targeted the most? Who, which demographic? What, what person gets targeted the most? People with Down syndrome. And then I asked them, do you know anyone who has Down syndrome? A lot of times they don't. I'm like, guess what? They're the best people you've ever met. They love life. They would never think about disliking you just because you have an R or a D behind your name. Never even never even crossed their mind. Super happy, super excited, friendly, saying hello to everybody. They deserve my life more than you and I do. Why are they targeted? And people start to get real uncomfortable because like when you go to like, you know, companies like mine, we got these, you know, these, these employee resource groups for the disabled people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but we're trying to get rid of them all. What are you telling me that their life is not valuable? You know, the the, the pro-abortionists are sexist, they're racist, 
and they're ableist. And that's what I tell people at the door. Is that you? Because it's not me. And people almost always say, you raise a good point. Because nobody wants to destroy down people with Down syndrome. Because that's a nasty, wicked thing to do. And that's where you have to take it. But you can't get there if you're dabbling on the edge and saying, we're going to lower it from 20, 20 weeks to 15 weeks. Or if we go there, they're going to get really angry at us and we're going to get voted out. Well, get voted out, but do the right thing. Hmm. And see if God will come and redeem this country if we actually stand up and are willing to be persecuted. That's what it's all about. That's the whole game. And the thing is, if I get elected, and it will be God's hand that does it because this district is unwinnable by human standards, even with the crazy effort that I've given, if God flips this thing, I'm going to have as many problems with the Republicans as I'm going to have with the Democrats. Because nobody's going to want that fire put to their feet. Nobody's going to want to be got called out as being quasi-pro-life. I mean, how's that going to work? It's not going to work very well, is it? I don't think so. I don't think so, Michael. But we'll see. We'll see. You know, yeah. and obviously all things with kindness and all things with, but like, but it's, it's but we're not going to go to a 15-week abortion restriction without me putting up a big fight. And I think, you know, as you're, as you're talking, I'm just, I'm just sitting here and I'm just listening to you and I'm taking in what you're saying. It, it, it brings me back to what you were talking about when you said you were in DC, that politics was kind of your God. And I think what you're doing here at least is you're saying, okay, no, God is God. Um, God, is God. And I'm not going to play politics uh, just to have this up here and put God down there. And that's kind of what I hear from you uh, now, which I think is, I think it's something that a lot of um, Christian Republicans need, because not all Republicans are Christian, right? right. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's not true. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard Christian Republican being used interchangeably, and I, I have a big issue with it. Um, no, it's, yes, yeah, totally not the same thing. No, it's right. not. Um, and I think a lot of I think a lot of Christian Republicans need to hear that. It's like, hey, you know, um, you, you can't, you got it. Basically, I think Michael Knowles says it this way: "Don't squish," <laughs> is essentially what it is. Um, and that's what you're saying: don't don't squish on it. You know, don't make a yeah. make a make a make a good stand. Because I think it's kind of like what you said with you know your company is that there's a lot more people that probably agree with you than you think if you actually just say something. And yeah. I think for a long time. Um, for Republicans, we've kind of just, we've kind of just sort of hid, kind of like in that cave. We just kind of, we kind of hid away. Um, and I think, you know, with your story, with talking about, you know, the whole vaccine mandate, and then for me, it was like the whole George Floyd riots. Like, there's a lot of people I've noticed that have made it into this realm here, this political yeah. realm, 
because of those things. Mm-hmm. And what I am really encouraged by, because um, I was talking uh, with Tyler Lee, and one thing I tell any candidate that we have on here is that we yeah. don't endorse candidates. Yeah. Um, just to just to you know be like, hey, if you like what Michael's saying, you should vote for him. I like what you're saying so far, but again, right. we can't endorse you. Right. Um, but one of the things I was really encouraged by was what he was saying was very realistic. And he yeah. was like, he's like, I can't change. Like, I can't change everything in like, you know, a That's day. true. That's um, true. And, it, but it was, but what he said though, which was really good that I really appreciate is like, it's going to take you. You have to, you have to vote in people that actually represent your values. Don't settle for less, yeah. you know? And I think that's going to be a whole, that's a whole culture change right there. Right. That's a big thing. Yeah. And I'll say this, uh, you know, I have the utmost respect for Tyler Lee. I, li- I liked that guy from the moment I met him. But everything I've seen from him since then, I'll, I'm going to say I like that cat. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, and you know, we, we're not naive, mm-hmm. you know, that politics works a certain way. You know, you go in there and you come out guns a-blazing and you call everybody out and you fight everybody. And not always work, willing to work with you. Mm-hmm. And what good is that? Like, now you're just the guy on the side shouting and, uh, and, and holding things up. You don't want to do that either. And so I don't know, you know, I don't know how it all shapes up and how it all looks, but I know that there's a, there's a nuance, there's a difference. And it might be a fine line between like knowing how to get things done, but pushing hard enough, like pushing hard enough, like, are you willing to go door to door in you know the House of Representatives to everybody who's got deacon at such and such Baptist church and have a 15-minute sit-down and just say, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking about. And if, I, if you agree with this, and if I can get... If I can get 40 other people to agree with this, might you be willing to stand up and push for no abortion? Might you, might you be willing to do that? Now, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's happening right now. I don't know what those conversations are. And I'd be foolish to, to, you know, to, you know, say that, you know, that's not happening. Sure. I don't know. But, you know, conversations this early about 15 weeks, that doesn't seem like there's much of a fight. And I know that, I know that God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? That's what the Bible says. And, and when God speaks, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, when God speaks to Joshua, right? Joshua, the warlord, is, is, a, is, is, is battling with fear. We have, to, we have to fight fear. It's not from God. And he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. He's, have I not commanded? I've, I've told you this before. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Right? Don't be afraid, but don't also be like, you know, oh my goodness, this is going to come back and backfire so bad. Don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you, whithersoever thou goest. And so with, with an issue like, like abortion, where... We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is the murdering of a child. 
We know that. You know, I think that that obligates you to at least give more than the usual political try. I would tend to agree with that. Um, I think, I think if you could, if you made anything like a single, like if you were a single issue voter, I think abortion would be one of the main things um, to look at. Um, because any, I, honestly, I see an attack on life in the womb as an attack on me. Uh, I see it as attack on as on humanity. It's like I, it's like I said, you have to protect life at conception, otherwise you can't um, you can't protect it at all. Um, and I've been, you know, I've been really discouraged because I've I've watched, I've been watching a lot of this play out, um, and especially with Roe v. Wade, what I noticed um, was a lot of. I think I noticed a lot of, like, I hate even saying progressive Christians because I wouldn't, I don't know if they're all saved. I'm not sure. Um, But I think it was hard to watch people try to make biblical arguments for abortion. Um, It was almost a little bit, it almost kind of makes your spine just kind of, because it's almost, you're you're taking the word of God and, and, and twisting it. It's like, well, you know, when it says that we're knit together in our mother's womb, tell me how that, tell me how that's a a pro-abortion passage. Or that God knew you before you were even formed, like. Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't track, and so it it and what really what really bothers me is you know what you're saying here. You know you have a lot of a lot of spirit to you for sure, but you're also speaking some pretty you know you're giving common sense logical arguments. Um, you're and it makes sense. You know you seem like a sharp guy, and you're also an attorney, and that makes sense to me. Um, but it's like they don't care. And, and that's what really, that's what really gets me and makes me not worried, but it saddens me a lot that those conversations can't be had because we no longer have a basis to work off of. Oh, but these conversations can be had. They you think abs- so? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have these conversations door to door, you know, all the time. And, you know, and, and people would like, Political consultants would say, don't go there. And I'm like, no. <laughs> People want to know where you stand on that. And they want to challenge you on that. So you've got, you've got to face it. And you've got to, you, what you believe has to make sense. Now, I'm fortunate. Like, honestly, if my, if my district was 60% Caucasian, I don't think I'd have any chance. But the black community, man, like, most of us grow up in the church. There's, there's a base you know, I mean, there's different types of churches, but like, there's a base. There's a basic respect for God and for the Bible. Um, and so I'm willing to go head to head. Now, I have faced pastors who have gone at me for an hour. There's one. This one lady pastor was uh, was swinging her shears in front of my face. She was so mad that I was pro-life, and she said, "God is pro-choice." As a pastor. Yep. So, you know, I mean, I wasn't going to convince her, but, um, but I wasn't going to back down to her. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I don't care what school you go to. I don't care what kind of degrees. I don't care what your status is. I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got the Holy Spirit. That's what I need. <laughs> and uh, you, yep. you can be Albert Moeller and I'll go at you if I've got the Holy Spirit. You know, because I read the Bible a lot. And I, 
and I, you know, I, when I read the word, I trust the word, which is even more unique. That is, that is an interesting point. And so, and so I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not, I don't back down from that. And so, you know, I think that, uh, you know, like, like we talked about, everything has spiritual implications. And so when you look at this issue of abortion, you can look at it, and this is, this is one of the things that why we need to be salt and light. Because most people don't have the benefit of seeing the truth of it from a spiritual perspective. Now, from a spiritual perspective, we know that, you know, in the Bible, there was always a child sacrifice that mm-hmm. God hated. And usually the deity was Moloch. It was a spirit of Moloch. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was called Chemosh. It went by different names depending on which, uh, which people group. But that was a spirit of Moloch. And God hated it. And uh, one of my favorite, what, right after I got saved, um, about a month after I started this Bible study at my law firm, um, and Hebrews 11 played a big role in showing me that my faith was not where it needed to be. Like, you know, Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. And so I wanted to do, for this Bible study, I wanted to do, uh, you know, a, an overview of faith in the, in the Bible, and then a deep dive into why does God list these, these characters, these people in Hebrews 11, right? Why Sarah mentioned, right? Didn't she doubt God? Why Samson mentioned? I mean, wasn't he immoral? And so I'm like, okay, this, this, was, this was an awesome Bible study. It lasted like two years. But when I was like, and like, listen, like when I'm starting this, I'm, bio, I'm Bible illiterate, right? And yeah. so there's things in the Bible that I don't know were there. And so one of the people that's mentioned in the Bible is this guy named Jephthah. And so I read up on Jephthah and I'm like, oh, what do I do with this? Because I'm, you know, I'm an attorney. I'm at a law firm. Like, the story of Jephthah is about a man who was an illegitimate child of a, of a man. He's chased off from his family. He goes and he forms this army. And then the Israelites, uh, who don't have an army at that time, come begging him after he's been chased off. And they say, can you come back and be our king? Because we don't have an army and we've got these, these enemies who are intruding. Okay. And, uh, and Jephthah, there's the whole, the, you know, the, the sort of the, the big part of the story is Jephthah makes this, this terrible, this very rash vow to God. And he says to God, totally un, you know, God doesn't ask for this. God doesn't want this from him. But he says to God, he makes this vow to God. He says, if you will deliver this, you know, this army to me, for this battle to me, and I come back alive, I will sacrifice whatever comes out of my house first. It's like this rash vow. Yeah. And his, and his daughter comes out. And he sacrifices his daughter. Human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Right? What do you do with that? At a law firm. Bible study. You don't want yeah. that to get out, right? Yeah. And so, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm you know, reading up on all this. And here's a case in point of how people say, I don't understand this. And so I'm going to try to tweak it a little bit to make it not offensive so that I can live with it. And so if you look at all, 
most of the, the modern scholars, they'll say, oh, he didn't kill his daughter. He didn't, it wasn't a human sacrifice. He, he, what, what? <laughs> no, no. Well, because there's some language that says she bemoans her virginity. And so the, the so she, she, she goes off with her friends. Um, so she, she's, right. She, she goes off for a little bit to mourn, to mourn her virginity. Right. Okay. And what they say is that that means that he made her live a life as basically a nun. That was never how I interpreted the story. Well, you, it's not like the when you read it on his face, you can't you can't get there. That's what I'm saying is that right. like, that seems very that seems right. very silly to me. But people get there because they don't want to deal with this very dirty. What do you do with that? They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to like peg God as wrong or all that stuff. And, you know, I prayed for seven months because I, I read it and I read these scars. I said, they're not right. There's, it, there's no way. He, he sacrificed his daughter. Mm-hmm. And that freaked me out. And I prayed for seven months. What do I do with this? Because I can't avoid it. And, you know, right before I was supposed to go over it, God gave me the answer. And it's one of the most beautiful stories in the whole Bible. You see, this story happens in the book of Judges. And, you know, everybody knows the the circle in Judges where the, the Israelites are with God and then they move away from him and then they, they get, you know, they get conquered and they finally call yeah. out to God. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's the, the whole thing. Yeah. So they're in this situation. And the Israelites... What the Bible says is they are being idolatrous, and it names 10 different civilizations, the gods of which they are, they are um, you know, obeying, worshiping, 10 different civilizations. But the only one that they mention is this, is this god called Chemosh. And Chemosh is another name for Molech. And so what we see is at this time in history, the Israelites have become idolatrous, and one of the idols that they are serving is the spirit of Molech, which means they are sacrificing their children mm-hmm. in the fire, killing their children. It's a form of abortion. And, and that's what Jephthah grows up in. His whole life, he's seen the Israelites sacrificing their children. And he's never questioned whether that was right or wrong. And the point that we see here with the story of Jephthah is that, is that our society can taint our faith. Our society can and does taint how we worship our God. You look at our houses, you look at the food we eat, you look at all this stuff, and then you see people around the world who don't have enough. Our society taints our religion. And yet, and so Jephthah was willing and able to sacrifice his daughter because he thought that was, that was like, you know, okay by God. Like that was a a, a suitable way to honor God. And his daughter doesn't put up a fight because she was raised in a society that said child sacrifice is not offensive. It's, it's something that's okay to do. 
And so they're both, they don't fight each other. They both do this, this sacrifice of her. She goes willingly. He willingly sacrifices his daughter for God, even though God wants nothing to do with that. He hates child sacrifice. It's clear in the Old Testament. And yet, how does he, how does he wind up in Hebrews chapter 11? That's a great question. And so what we see when we really dig into it is that God is so much more gracious and generous than we'll, and forgiving than we'll ever be. Because we see something like that and we're like, dude, you're a punk. Never having anything to do with you ever again. God's able to see beyond the taint of our society that the, 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 the societal pressures that cause our religion to be tainted and cause us to offer you know, strange sacrifices to God where we never were supposed to. And he's able to see that and, uh, and still see beyond it and see our heart and see our faith beyond where we failed hmm. and still love us. And that's what we need in our, in our current setting because there's a lot of ways where we get it wrong. Hmm. Yeah. I think your screen went off. It might have there, but that's okay. We still have uh, we still have the audio, so we'll keep going here um, for another few minutes. But I think it's since our screen's gone off. Yeah, it's yeah. a good maybe. That's our, our sign to yeah, to no. call it to call it a day. This has been an amazing conversation. Is there it, anything else you'd like to say? No, but I mean, I think I think that just sort of ties up sort of you know how I'm thinking about this is that. You know, if you want to just take one more example from the book of Judges, which is something that God brought to me. Um, it was the time of Gideon. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Good old Gideon. And, uh, you know, I was reading Gideon once, and, and it, it jumped out. Something strange jumped out at me that I'd never seen before. This is why you read the Bible again and again and again, because you're going to see different things, yeah. right? Yeah, I've heard of one person's like, yeah, I read it once, and that was enough. And it's no, like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Can't we, do that. <laughs> Uh, my my wife, after I got saved, got me into a Bible reading plan, um, and I'd never been through the Bible, raised in a Christian family. And uh, and we read the Bible once every nine months with my whole all my kids and my wife and I, and then we do the whole New Testament in the summer. So we get one and a half way through every year. And um, you see you see just new things. And uh, in Gideon. You know, we have a situation where the, the Israelites are idolatrous and they're getting in trouble and all that. Um, but God, God's not angry with them because of the idolatry. It's not what's, it's not what's spoken. So he sends a prophet to speak to them. And what he says is that basically that you feared the God's of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. That's what he's angry about. And that struck me because my whole life I'd feared the gods of America in whose land I dwelt. The LGBT movement, the pro-choice movement. I mean, the anger that comes out of those areas, it's unreal, right? The the pregnancy resource centers that are getting firebombed and paint thrown all over them. That's real. 
Yeah. And the question is, do you fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell? Because if you do, that's greatly offensive to God because it's saying that God, your God, is smaller than theirs. That's what it's saying. Yeah. And I think I think you're right. Like That does tie us up with what we're talking about is, do you fear God or do you fear uh, man? Uh, if, and if you fear a listener and you don't believe in God, well, maybe ask the question why. Um, won't get too deep into that because we really could. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this has been really, really lovely. I've yeah, loved, no, this has been fun. I've loved yeah. talking to you. You have so much in you, and I love it. And I, I am refreshed um, by a nice, genuine spirit that you have. And you genuinely seem to, to love the Lord and to love people. And that's what really matters. Yeah. Um, but Michael, uh, where can people find you um, if they if, if they're like I want to learn more? Yeah, what, what can they yeah. do? Um, yeah, so I've got a website. It's uh, my last name, Anderson, the number 4nc.com, Anderson4nc.com. Uh, and all my information's there. Um, and we'll make sure that we link that into yeah, the, yeah. all the stuff. So you don't worry about spelling everything out. <laughs> it's yeah. too much. Um, <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's the easiest way to, to get a hold of me. But um, from there, there's a lot of ways to connect if you so choose. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Well, uh, this has been uh, just a wonderful episode. Um, great to talk to all these different people. Uh, we have so many more super exciting. Um, make sure that you follow us on uh, our Spotify. Fi find us on YouTube. Find us on Instagram. Uh, we'll also make sure that all of Michael's links are down below um, so that you can make sure that you can check out him if you want to know more about his policies, what he stands for, all those things. Um, I think that's pretty much it. And I feel liberated um, because <laughs> Connor can't tell me how to do the outro. Uh, and he'll get to this at the end and be very upset. Okay, that's it, guys. Uh, thank you so much. That's pretty much all I got. That was my outro. He does the outros way better than I do. Uh, hey, that, that was good enough. All right. No, that's cool with me. I'm just going to. And I know why.